We're going to be looking tonight at Psalm 137. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Psalm 137, a message I call, Sing Us a Song. Sing Us a Song. Psalm 137 and verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. The words of this psalm come frequently to my mind. Uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish people, uh, suffered the horror of the fall of their nation. It was not the last time that they would see it. It would be a few centuries later when the Romans would once again wipe them out, carry them away captive, and, and uh, the land would lay waste, and they would be scattered among all the nations. Uh, but, uh, of course, in 1948, that all turned around, and uh, actually the Zionist movement had been going for quite a while. But this goes back to that Old Testament time the, when the Babylonians, the Nebuchadnezzar, their king, invaded their homeland, their nation, conquered their armies, laid siege to their cities, destroyed their economy, and carried what people who survived away into Babylon. They lost everything. Only a few Survived just a remnant, survived with their lives. They went from Jerusalem, the heavenly city, as it's often been called, to Babylon, the hellish city. And we say that because Jerusalem is often used as a symbol of heaven. So much so that all the way over in the book of Revelation, the Bible is still speaking of the new Jerusalem. The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of the heavenly Jerusalem or the Jerusalem that is above. And uh, something said again in Galatians chapter 4 by Paul. And when he contrasted the Jerusalem that now is steeped in the law, steeped in bondage, represented by Hagar of all people. Hagar. And Sarah who represented the Jerusalem that is above, he said, that is free. So there was always a heavenly Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above. And Jerusalem was a picture of heaven in the sense that God's temple was there. It was the place where God met with his people, so the presence of God was there. Inside the temple was the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Testimony, all the things that related to that. And so Jerusalem uh, became kind of a figure in, in heaven. All of those things that were built there in the temple were just types of the realities that existed in heaven. The Jerusalem that was below on this earth, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. By the way, that's all the way over, <laughs> all the way over to the end of the book, folks. We're still hearing about that new Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a Bride adorned for her husband. Oh, yeah, New Jerusalem. 
Babylon was about as opposite of that as it could get. Uh, Babylon, of course, when it traced its origins all the way back to Nimrod in the Old Testament and and uh, even after the flood, uh, that city was continued and uh, was rebuilt, no doubt. There were things that happened there in that city that recognized it as a place where it represented the kingdom of man. It became a place of confusion. You'll remember the Tower of Babel. That's uh, Oh, there, the confusion that was there and the confusion of humanity, their rejection of God, the rejection of God's truth. That's Babylon. It became a center then for satanic activity, representative of all that is vile and evil in the world. That was Babylon. We're going from Jerusalem into Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29 contains that famous passage where God says, Now, I I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah 29. But if you keep reading, uh, you'll see that uh, God spoke of that plan that he had when he said, Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. I sent you from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God knew the plans that he had for him, plans that would give him a future. But that plan included catastrophic judgment, the fall of the nation, and God sending then his people to Babylon. Now, they weren't going to stay there forever. They'd stay there for 70 years But those people who were heading away captive into that land would, for the most part, work and live out their lives and die. Uh, Only the youngest of them might, might, conceivably might, make the return trip. But few who could remember the beautiful halls of Zion would live to return to it. Seventy years they would be in captivity in Babylon. And so this psalm has them. It commemorates the time where they were there by the rivers of Babylon. And, and uh, they were asked to sing a song by their captors. I want to draw some thoughts from this ancient psalm then. Born out of these circumstances that I hope will be a blessing to all of us tonight and encouragement. First of all, I want you to see the sorrow. The sorrow that they expressed. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. We wept. They sat down and cried. We all know what it's like to be so racked with tears, so racked with anguish that we can no longer stand. We double over. We either sit down or we fall down. The anguish is so real. This was what they were feeling as they saw the mighty walls of Babylon, so impregnable, so impenetrable. So well-known, so famous. There, they would look at the city of Babylon, and their mind, though, was on Zion. They thought of where they were from. They saw where they were headed, and they knew that they were in captivity. Now, Jeremiah, the prophet, had wrote of this immediately preceding the fall of of Jerusalem. And, in fact, Jeremiah was so specific in his prophecies about what was about to happen that he was accused of actually being an agent of Babylon, and people were trying to kill him for treason. 
But, of course, Jeremiah was just preaching the word of God. That's all he was doing. He was telling the truth. So in Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 8, it's interesting what God said. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words. This is God speaking to these people. Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, my servant, my servant. I'll take... Said Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and will make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation. And all these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now this captivity played out exactly as God said. And we see that judgment then falling on them. Their captors were requiring of them mirth. But they had no mirth. They had no joy to express. No happiness. No laughter. No joy. When God begins to move in judgment then against any nation, one of the characteristics of that judgment is that he takes away their laughter, their mirth, their gladness, their ability to, to make fun, to speak fun of each other, to joke and to laugh. That's the voice of mirth. That's the voice of the mirth. We say stuff that's funny and we're laughing about it, but then God takes all that away. From there, he takes away their food supply. The grindstones go silent. And even the candles that would give them light in the night are all burned up and cannot be replaced. This was devastating judgment. I think about our nation today, and I'll have to say tonight that America has grown rather used to its prosperity. Wouldn't you agree? We've gotten used to it. <laughs> and if you don't believe that, just let your air conditioner go out for a few hours and you'll see we've gotten used to our prosperity. We have. We have. We like it. But I'll tell you, the more that we move towards sin as a nation and the more we move away from God, the more our happiness and joy and prosperity is in jeopardy. The problem with Israel was simply expressed. They chose sin over their sovereign Lord. And God didn't take away their ability to do that. They didn't take away their ability to worship false gods. He didn't take away their ability to live in sin and rebellion. He didn't take away their ability to do all these things that they shouldn't have done. But what he did take away is he took away their ability to go against him, to rebel against him, and still live in joy and mirth and prosperity. As one preacher said, God doesn't make it where we can't sin, but he does take away our ability to sin and enjoy it. Now, the pleasures of sin might be for a moment. I'll give them that. Oh, but afterward, afterward, if you're a true blood-bought child of God, then you're not going to be able to live in a worldly lifestyle and enjoy it. It's going to work on you all the time. The Holy Spirit is going to work on you all the time. If you think, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't work on, that, on me that way, well, the Bible has something to say about that too. 
Because God says that he chastens every son whom he receives. And if we be without chastisement, then are you illegitimate and not sons? That's what God said. (laughs) Adrian Rogers once told the story of a wayward family with three boys who got out of church. And they had been out of church so long that the boys were grown just about. No matter how hard the preacher worked to get them back in church, they resisted everything. They would not come. And finally, one day, one of the boys, now a young man himself, was out working in their field, and he got bit by a rattlesnake. Out in the country from long ago, all they could do was carry them to their country doctor that lived nearby, and he did all that he could after such a long time. And he told the family, all we can do now is pray. So Brother Rogers said that the father called the preacher and they asked him to come and pray. Now, I'm not saying that Adrian Rogers would ever tell something that wasn't true, but, you know, I, I don't know. It just, this is one of those stories. But he did tell it. I got it on tape. And he said the preacher, when he began to pray, he said, Lord, we pray, and he called the boy's name that he'd recover and be healed from this snake bite. Even though, God, we know you sent the snake to bite him, to bring him to his senses and back to you. So, God, even as we pray for his recovery, I pray you send that snake back around to bite every one of his brothers and a really big one to bite his daddy. Amen. Oh, now, let me reiterate that. I don't know if, I I think that was just probably a funny story he heard somewhere. But uh, it does make a very good point for us tonight. A couple of points, actually. Number one, if if a preacher did that today, they'd probably put him in jail somewhere. But uh, we might ought to do it a little bit more often. But number two, there's absolutely no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar was sent by God to bite Israel and drive them back to him. We know that beyond any shadow of a doubt because God said that Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, my servant. Now make no mistake, Nebuchadnezzar and his crowd sinned against God they sinned against God because they were lifted up with pride. I mean, that when, to defeat Israel was not just to defeat Israel, but to defeat Israel's God. They were famous for what they had done to the Egyptians. They knew about the greatness of the God of Israel. And here was Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon to them. We've defeated not only Israel, but we've defeated Israel's God. And he was able to look out then over this vast empire, lifted up with pride, and say, it's not this mighty Babylon that I built. Oh, but God put him down. Put him out in the field to eat grass like an ox. Lost his mind. The mighty armies of Babylon would never recover. Cyrus, king of Persia, then would come against them. And the same thing that they had done to Jerusalem would then be done by Cyrus to them. They'd be conquered. Their economy would be taken and destroyed. Their people would be put into captivity. And Cyrus, of all people, Cyrus, the Persian. That's modern day Iran, by the way. Cyrus, the Persian, would become the friend of Israel, protector of them, 
enabling them then, financing them to go back to their homeland and rebuild their cities and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. That was Cyrus. And so while Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant against Israel, that he brought that uh, terrible judgment against him, he was lifted up in pride, and he ended up being judged as well. And I bring all of this up to you tonight just to remind us from time to time that we need to remember who is orchestrating all the things that are happening in our country today. We need to remind ourselves. See, we'll be, we'll be inclined to give Satan all the credit, and Satan does deserve a lot of the credit. I'll give you that. But remember, the armies of Babylon could have never conquered Israel had not God allowed it. Had not God had that plan, and that was his plan. And so we look around at our nation. We might wonder who keeps fanning the flame of all of our controversies. Who is stoking the fire of anger and rage and indignation? Who has taken away our ability to laugh and to feel true peace and joy? And yes, it's Satan. Yes, it's Babylon. We're still dealing with Babylon today. Babylon's on the rise. Read the book of Revelation. You'll see it all over it. Babylon's on the rise. Not the physical Babylon, the political movement that it represents and the spiritual movement that it represents. That's what's on the rise. But understand that Babylon, with all of its power, cannot move unless God permits it. And he is. They looked at what they'd lost. They looked at what was now gone forever for them. Their glorious nation that has stood for so long, generation after generation after generation. And now it was gone. And in their lives, they would never see it again. It's no wonder they grieved. They grieved. When they thought of the Jerusalem that they lost, they grieved. When they saw their captivity and how powerless they were to prevent it or do anything about it. That's the sorrow of Psalm 137. Move from there to the sarcasm. Those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. You see, the mockers and the scoffers are always out there and in abundance. And when God's judgment came on his people, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for Babylon just to burn and pillage and plunder and rape and kill indiscriminately. No, that wasn't enough. When they bring the survivors to Babylon then, what did they say? Sing us a song. Yeah, where's your song? Sing us one of your songs. Let's hear about how happy you are about your new habitations. You're going to get to come to Babylon. You're going to get to live here. You're going to get to serve our king. You're going to get to bow before our beliefs. You're going to get to be named after our gods and your children and grandchildren to be raised to serve our God and to think our way. This was Babylon on display. They weren't content just to conquer them. They weren't content with just bringing them into captive. You're going to come to our place. No, they wanted them to be glad about it. That's what the text says. They wanted them to be happy about it. They wanted them to affirm it. 
This has always been the desire of this evil, satanic, wicked system known as Babylon. It's always been that way. It always will. With all its vanity, with all its vexation, and all of its vileness, they actually want God's people to enter it with mirth and with gladness. And they still want it today. They long for us to embrace their Babylon, to bow the knee to its gods, to accept his lies as truth, no matter how distorted or ridiculous they are. See, it wasn't that they really wanted or cared about the songs of God. They, they didn't want that. They, they knew that most of Israel's songs were song of worship, song of praise, songs of victory. They didn't want to hear about all that. Oh, they, they wanted happy singing captives eagerly embracing their new lives of service in Babylon. Historical narrative bears out that they were pretty good at what they did. When Ezra began to leave the movement to get out of Babylon and go back to Jerusalem, there were many, 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 many of the Jews that didn't go back. They had been in Babylon all their lives. They were quite happy there. They wouldn't return. Now, some like Nehemiah couldn't return. He was a servant to the king. He had to have the king's permission. He got it. He asked for it. He got it. <laughs> but uh, there were many others that didn't go. They didn't want the hardship. They didn't want the difficulty. They didn't want the danger. They knew what, it had, what had happened to them as the people of God before they were perfectly comfortable living in Babylon. But they faced then that constant sarcasm. It was always there because the world always mocks people of God when they sell out. So there was a sorrow and there was a sarcasm. But then there's the silence. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, perhaps there is some good tonight to think about all the times in Scripture when people did sing songs. Uh, I've already mentioned to you, I'll mention it to you again. That yes, there were many, many times when they sang songs of victory. Uh, when uh, Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea, they were singing a song of victory. Over and over again, they would sing songs of praise. Yes. Then there were other times. Of course, we have to think of Paul and Silas with their backs bloody and beaten and bruised. In stocks and in chains and at midnight they were singing songs. They sang in the night. We have to think about Jesus. And as he was on the way to dark Golgotha and from or dark Gethsemane and from dark Gethsemane then to even darker Golgotha. But after that last church service that they were able to have where Jesus gave them the Lord's Supper, the Bible says they sang. There in the darkness, so much ahead of them, yet they sang. Being somewhat of a singer myself, Brother Bill, it just does me good to know that Jesus was a singer. I mean, he sang. They sang. They sang a hymn. And there on that dark night, they sang. 
Many of you in this church tonight are facing some really dark nights. Uh, Don't let your voice be silent. Some of you have experienced the loss of loved ones. Some of you have wayward children. Some have children who have gone on. Some of you are facing incurable disease. And unless God's work works a miracle, it will take your life. Some are facing difficulties in your marriage. Some struggle in your job. Some struggle in your business, your finances. All the different ways that God's people go through the dark night, the long dark night. All the ways that that happens to us are too many to number. That's why they taught us back in seminary, if you'll preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for an audience because in every pew, there's a hurt and a heartache. It's always there. It never goes away. And yet God said in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 29, one of the promises that he made to these very people was that you shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept. And gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. God, you see, can give us a song in the night. And Ephesians 5.19 tells us that we are to speak to ourselves, to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You may not can sing much, and that's okay. Uh, The important thing is, do you have a song in your heart? Do you have a song in your heart? And the reason why that's important is because if you have a song in your heart, it will come out of your mouth. And I know that because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I know what some of you are thinking. You say, well, Brother Rich, you don't want me singing. Well, you don't have to sing that way. You don't have to sing to kind of carry a tune. Uh, Some of you couldn't carry a tune if your life depended on it. I understand. I I used to think everybody could sing if we worked at it hard enough for the bill, but some people just don't have it. I understand. But if you've got a song in your soul, that song will come out. It may not be in melody or harmony, but it will come out. That song will be seen. That song will be noticed because inside of us there is a river of joy that this world cannot take away. You see, happiness is like the surface on the the waves, on the surface of the water. And as long as the wind is blowing, then the waves are there. But it's just dependent upon the circumstances. But joy is what goes down deep. And that deep ocean current of joy that's in our heart. Jesus said, my joy I give unto you, and your joy shall be full. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Yes, a song in the night. You see, Babylon wants us to sing, but they don't really want to hear the songs of Zion, though they think they do. They want mirth, but they don't want to see the joy of the Lord. So tonight I would say, don't let your voice be silent. Don't let your song be taken away. Instead, remember the words of an ancient song. Penned by a great shepherd, king, and prophet named David. And most of you have it committed to memory. And it ends with this last stanza. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when you're talking about all my life and forever, you've pretty well got it covered. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't let Babylon steal your song. Don't let a few uh, people just so sarcastic, scoffers, mockers, don't let them steal your song. They may, may be making fun of you, but don't let them steal your song. We have a song in our soul. Set it out. If you don't know Jesus Christ, though, tonight, you don't have that song of the soul because that only comes for the redeemed of God. Uh, the basic foundation of all of our joy is the peace of God that passes understanding. That peace that comes to us in knowing that our sins are forgiven. In knowing that our ho heavenly home is, is set and settled for us. Knowing that we have a relationship with God so that we have not only the peace with God, but we have the peace of God. And that is what creates this constant flow of joy in our life. Do you have that? Let's stand together, please.